Welcome to Oomph. What is Oomph, you ask? Oomph is an informal discussion with injury control researchers to help our listeners think about this particular topic in a brand new way. I'm Dr. Rob Bossert, director of the West Virginia University Injury Control Research Center. It's a beautiful day in Morgantown. I'm joined by a couple of good friends who are going to help me talk to our special guest of the day. The first of them is Dr. Dan Shook. Dan may be known to our listeners and viewers on social media, of which we have a very large presence, as Safety Dan. And he, well, I'll let you describe yourself or introduce well, yourself. Well, thank you, Rob. Uh, I'm the director of the Mountain Safe uh, Outreach Injury Prevention Program. Uh, we're part of the Injury Prevention Control uh, Research Center, and uh, we like to work with communities to help make them safer and reduce injuries and deaths. It's good you like that. I like that stuff. Good. I'm also joined by Dr. Kara Stokes. Kara? Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, uh, this is Kara Stokes. I am a PhD um, postdoctoral fellow here at the Injury Control Research Center. And what do you work on? So I will be working on a clinical trial for depression treatment for rural patients. Ah, uh, that sounds exciting. I it's, hope that works. Yeah. I mean, it is exciting, yeah? actually. Who's doing that? You. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to work then. <laughs> Our, we, we are really excited, the three of us, and then Danelle, who's over there cheering, about our special guest of the day. She's known to many of you who've listened to the podcast before. She's certainly known and loved by us. She's loved by recent doctoral candidates in epidemiology at Portland State University and people all around the globe. I would like to introduce the recently anointed Dr. Sarah Warfield. Hey, Sarah. Oh, wow. What an introduction. Thank what you. An introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, my name is Sarah Warfield. I uh, am now a postdoctoral fellow with the ICRC working on a Medicaid funded project um, to better understand treatment outcomes for people with opioid use disorder. But I was a student working through the ICRC on opioid related projects because that's my research interest. Well, thank Ooh. you for taking some time to talk. Woo! Uh, thank you for taking some time to talk to us. Well, the first thing I want to do is thank you for mentoring the next generation of doctoral candidates. I know they appreciate your guidance as they work their way through this process. Yeah, no problem. I know they do. They really enjoy it. Yeah, it's a, the feedback is really positive, and I like it. <laughs> it is. So, yeah. the I want you to talk a little bit about how you landed here at West Virginia University and why. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of uh, opioid overdose and overdose prevention is a big topic right now. It's something that's that's increasing rates in our country. But you've been doing this for a while, so how did you land here? Everyone listening, particularly our, our listeners in Italy, should know that Sarah is widely recognized as the content area expert, not just among our graduate students, but among the School of Public Health and larger health sciences effort here at WVU in general. You've been involved in everything. You found Waldo. I did. Yeah. I found Waldo in multiple places, yep. You've helped other states. You've done an amazing dissertation. So how did you arrive here at such an important time? Uh, that's a really good question, Thanks. and I have to say that it really comes from my previous mentor and work that? that I did at East Tennessee State University with Rob Pack. Um, he is an excellent mentor, and he's doing so much in the field of opioid abuse and misuse. Um, so when it comes to knowledge and understanding the field, he trumps me and always will. <laughs> uh, I'm not am, sure about that. I know um, Rob. He's, he's all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I was in my MPH, I, work, I got the chance to work with him and an interprofessional team, which was really exciting um, for me as a student to learn about research, and I really loved it. Uh, and they inspired me to look at opioid abuse since that was really the... Um, 
issue that's happening, especially in Appalachia, but across the nation, we're experiencing an opioid crisis. So um, when I was looking at doctoral programs, I really looked at everywhere that was addressing this and where it was hitting the hardest, and I found WVU, uh, specifically the Injury Control Research Center, with all their work on overdose prevention, and I figured what a better way as a student to come to WVU, which is the heart of the epicenter, uh, given they have the highest overdose death rates in the nation and have since 2010. Uh, and so I, I got accepted and I came and I've been on so many projects and have had so many opportunities that I know I wouldn't have had anywhere else, um, thanks to being mentored by Rob Bosser and others at the Health Sciences Center. Um, yeah, so, and now here I am. I'm, I'm done. It's weird. It, yeah, yeah, it, come, it comes to an end. Yeah. And you have shared an office with this other doctor to my right, yes. Dr. Stokes, for several years now. Who, yes. Yeah, who has been an amazing sort of experience. Every time I walk in the office, there's always a food of the moment, whatever that might be. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. We like to food keep of the uh, hour. Yeah, food of the hour. <laughs> food of the hour, uh, which is always <laughs> fun to see that that quantity of food moving yeah. through the office and, yeah. and, and variety and variety and yeah. just the overall dialogue between the two of you <laughs> so maybe i'll i'll hand off to kara for a moment and let her ask a question oh sure so <laughs> <laughs> so i've known sarah for obviously quite some time and we you know i feel like we'll probably hit on her academic journey quite a bit throughout this podcast so um one thing that sarah and i have talked about quite a bit is the topic of opioids and whether or not that actual substance will be and something else will come up. Mm -hmm. um, so what are your thoughts on that? These, you know, these crises that come and go and come and go and, um, you know, what, not necessarily what may be next, but, um, you know, where do you think this is going? Because it's not just opioids, right? Right, right. And that's a really good question and something that I've tried to focus on and really, um, make sure that I hit on when I'm talking about the current quote-unquote opioid crisis because so much is targeted towards the specific substance opioid. Um, but it's really larger than that. It's more than just the opioid substance. It's more than multiple substance. It's really a mental health issue that the U.S. is really experiencing and that we're experiencing right now. Um, so I think it's important to look at opioids but we, I think we really need to make sure that we don't focus the lens too much on opioids or even just substances. And we really look at the mental health and of our communities and the people that are struggling with opioid use disorder or substance use disorders. So I think that's a really good question. So, yeah, that was a good question. Well done. Um, so, seriously. So I love that you say it, but I just want to... I, I suppose call attention to the language you're using and ask you to, to talk about a little bit more. So I notice you say opioid crisis, not opioid epidemic, and I hear that a lot of people uh, mm -hmm. run around using the term opioid epidemic, which I think connotes a very different thing. Yes. And I also think it's important that you help me understand why you said quote unquote opioid crisis, right? Because right. it feels like when you talk to people either in, in the sort of general public or even general academic settings or public health settings, there's this opioid epidemic terminology and a very panicked feel to a lot of the discussions. And it doesn't sound from your language that, I'm, I'm sure there's urgency, but yes. uh, maybe you're looking at it a little bit differently and, and maybe you could help us understand that. Yeah, and that's a really good question because I think um, there have been some people or there's a movement towards of 
a crisis feel for the opioid epidemic or opioid crisis, whatever they want to jump on. She's making finger quotes. It's like little bunnies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And while we know that the opioid overdose death rates quadrupled since 1999, more than quadrupled, um, we also know by looking at national surveys that people are not misusing opioids at a higher rate, that there's something else going on. And this is really a function of many things. Um, And when we in public health address something, we really need to understand the um, multifaceted approach that is needed uh, and the potential unintended consequences. So when we implement programs like prescription drug monitoring databases or anything like that, um, that we understand how it could potentially be impacting the crisis. So we're taking away prescription opioids. um, We understand where they may be going, that we have correct treatment for people and what else could be influencing this because some studies will say and have found that you know the U.S. has less than five percent of the world's population but we consume 75 to 80 percent of the world's opioid prescription pain relievers Um, so why is that what's different about us Um, and I, I think that there's a lot to be addressed as far as chronic pain but specifically with mental health disorders um, as well so I think need to make sure we broaden the horizon and the research. So this is my favorite thing about being a faculty member and and working with graduate students is that you get to work with really smart people who make you look good when they're done Mm -hmm. because that was a a brilliant answer and I think uh, important for people to think about as they think about how they contextualize this or understand what's going on but more importantly how they begin to frame their their response or those things they support in response and I particularly like that you talked about the potential for unintended consequences because I think I agree far too often we're in such a rush to do something because mm-hmm. we, we see a crisis in front of us, and inappropriately so, that perhaps we don't take as much time to think about what the negative consequences of our actions are going to be and whether that's going to make things better or worse or even worse in a slightly different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you did your dissertation? I did. You, and you're done with your dissertation? I am. That probably feels good, and I'm sure it was stress-free because you had wonderful support in the form of an office mate who I'm sure was warm and affectionate provided snacks warm and affectionate. i said i'm sure you were uh, warm and affectionate and provided snacks yes. you've got dr dan down safety here dan, safety dan safety dan who probably greeted mm-hmm. you every morning with a just a word of encouragement and and love with bated breath <laughs> that could be encouraging in a really weird twisted way <laughs> so maybe you could tell people just very quickly about your dissertation what you did for your dissertation what your why your dissertation was important the big high-level stuff, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, So I actually focused um, on opioid overdoses for my dissertation. I was really interested in understanding the factors that are associated with overdoses. Um, And to do that, I used the best database that was available, or data that was available, uh, which is actually the Veteran Health Administration data, so um, which has the largest... Uh, amount of medical information around six million people per year so you get to see pharmacy data uh, claims data multiple things from around the nation to understand the differences between people who uh, overdose just once and don't overdose again who have multiple recorded overdoses or um, who unfortunately have a fatal first overdose Um, because I really wanted to understand is there a difference between those that um, overdose just once and die or overdose 
multiple times and what about those people that just overdose once and don't overdose again to really understand how we need to frame and uh, implement different public health interventions we need to understand what the differences are between those people and are they the same or are there different risk factors that we should be addressing so and i could ramble on forever about <laughs> I, this I, but i won't yeah, yeah. there's a lot there yeah. so what'd you learn <coughs> i learned what if I could real quick. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think we all believe we know something about this, right? Mm -hmm. We all carry around our heads some assumptions about the characteristics of people who are likely to overdose or what the process looks like or what the relationship is between certain risk factors and, and overdose risk. Did anything that you learned challenge any of those preconceived notions that many of us probably have or that popular narrative that I'm sure that many people will have come to mind almost immediately? Um, I would say the one thing that challenged what's currently known in the literature is um, repeat overdoses and mental health disorders. Um, the number of mental health disorders that people have who experience more than one overdose is significantly higher among that population versus those who just have one overdose, whether it's fatal or non-fatal. Um, so really addressing that is important. Also, the biggest thing I would say is that among those overdoses that are documented, 98% of the people who died died on their first one. So that's really telling to me as a public health researcher that we really need to be expanding our overdose prevention efforts to those who may not be known in, this, in these different systems, healthcare systems and networks, um, but also to be implementing and targeting those mental health needs of people who are experiencing overdose, non-fatal overdoses, and maybe ex uh, at risk for experiencing more than one overdose. So I, I'm dominating the microphone here, but I, I'm yeah. going to just ask another question because I'm sure many people listening will find that statistic you just threw out there sort of shocking, right? 98% mm -hmm. of the people who died die on their first known overdose. And I, I, I'm I'm taking what you mean by that is known to the healthcare system and known yes. in the medical record. Right? So that means that, I mean, to me, that's 100%, right? So the, if you're going to die, you're going to die on your first overdose. So what does that mean for prevention? I mean, what are the answers here? How do we begin to address something that the first time we learn about it among the people who die, it's when they die? Right. I, th I think there still needs to be a lot of research, but I think we need to be really targeting or addressing the potential contextual factors or environmental factors that may be putting a person at risk. So are they experiencing homelessness? Or are there other socioeconomic factors that are um, putting somebody at a higher risk for experiencing overdose? Um, I think there's still a lot to be known um, and research that needs to be done. That's good, yeah. And it, it sounds like primary prevention, right? So yeah, if you're primary. going to stop it, you're going to stop all episodes and, and mm -hmm. not necessarily wait for someone to express risk is what I hear you yes. saying uh, rather than taking affirmative steps to try to prevent anything from happening. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. So I've dominated. Dan, what do you got? Uh, my, yeah, my turn. <clears throat> yeah, please. Um, well, this kind of goes for Kara too. I'm, I'm a little bit sad that uh, you know, this journey is going to end because I, I remember meeting you guys uh, uh, just, I think, about three years ago. I, I, I specifically remember Rob bringing you down uh, to the office and meeting me. And, you know, uh, you guys are two bright young women that will really contribute and make a difference. And, and I hope that's what you want to do. And I think you do. I think you have. Um, Wait, 
before Go ahead. we move on, I would just like to mark that moment as being the most appropriate thing you've ever said. <clears throat> well, once so I get done, I'm going to have to round of applause beat my head on the wall. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm having arrhythmias by talking this way. <laughs> um, and, and I agree. With you. Sorry. <laughs> well, and, and you know, it, it's nice to be smart. I'm not that smart. I'm learning from you guys. But what I care about are the quality of people. I, and, and I know when I met you guys, you, you were people who, two women that, that cared. And, and I think that that really matters when you're working uh, any field, but in this particular one. So, so I'm not smart enough to ask an opiate question. Uh, this is going to be more about your journey. Um, the academic journey. An academic yeah, journey. the life journey. Yes. And you haven't had time. Yeah, you better take a, a drink of water. Um, you haven't had time to think about this, but what have you learned about yourself over the past three years? Oh, question. I like that question. Yeah, it's very reflective. Really it's question. philosophical. I'll, I'll give yeah. you a couple of minutes while I tell knock-knock jokes. <laughs> Sounds great. Could you? <laughs> or Does see, one of them start with if uh, you're going to? Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and don't even think about it too much. Just kind of like, yeah, yeah just throw it out there. Your... How have you grown as a person? Oh, I've grown a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I, I will continue to grow. Um, I may understand certain aspects of the field or in public health and in this specific arena of overdose prevention, but I think that there's so much more that plays into it that I look forward to learning more. And I think um, even though I'm done with a PhD and I, even though you know we've hit certain milestones or markers, I think that it's important, at least for me, to keep going and to keep learning um, because there's so much that needs to be done with this research. And I am passionate about addressing those gaps and understanding what's going on to really inform public health interventions and potentially clinical interventions as well. But I think just to keep on going, what I've learned that I need to do. I think you're modest. <laughs> Somebody yeah, asked me this too. question when I, I got my doctorate. I would have said, um, I, I, don't, I don't know as much as I thought I know. Yeah. I, yeah. It makes you me feel like I don't know anything. and I need more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was never dumber than the day I graduated. Um, <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, I'm like, no, that's not true. I'm dumber now. So I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy because I think it was a brilliant question. And you gave us a wonderful answer about, you know, what you're going to do with your it career. It was wishy yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, but the question was about Me you. Personally. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening around the world, particularly in Germany, the... <laughs> Hence the, the appropriateness. Huh? So, the, you know, the, the decision to get a dissertation is not one that should be taken lightly. I mean, it's a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it a little bit this morning. You sacrifice time and mental health and family and friends and yeah. a lot of things. And it, it often forces people to really consider a lot of things about their personal, professional lives and, 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 and sacrifice a lot as well. So I like Dan's question because really... What have you learned about yourself through this that's going to stick with you as you move forward? We're just going to keep asking this question to answer <laughs> Until it. Until I answer it the <laughs> right yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is an answer. Or, or, or answer it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Answer it my way. I, yeah. I do have, I mean, if you don't want to. Oh, don't you let humble. her off the hook. Yeah, you guys I know. are well, twins. The twin's going to answer for Let me see, her. tell you then what I've observed from you. Oh, okay. this will be fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah starting out came to WVU. Dr. Stokes, everyone. And she was the only person interested in opioid uh, use disorder, or opioid use or misuse at all. So she was the first person, first student. Um, there weren't really that many faculty members who were involved in this area, the subject area. Um, since then, so four years ago, 
everyone has jumped on the wagon. Mm -hmm. And I think when you first started here, so many things were thrown at you. And you were very overwhelmed in the beginning. And I would say that even more things have been thrown on you from now, uh, from then until now. And I think that your ability to cope with the demand of the problem, the demand of people who know how to address the problem appropriately because they have the informational background to actually know how to ask the right questions, how to look at the data in the correct way, know where to pull the correct data um, to even address the questions that you have, the good ones. Um, I think that your ability to cope with stress and, and the demand on your time and your intelligence has, you know, in, not improved, that's not the correct word, but you've been able to deliver every single time. You know, I, 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 had yeah, a, yeah. I had a West, uh, West Virginia mentor of mine, he was the head of the health psychology department that I used to work at, and he says, you know, people think that they're smarter because they get their degree, but what it means is that you're able to endure. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what I think Kara was kind of describing. You, right, you do it very gracefully now, yeah. whereas before you were, you know, yeah. nervous and scared, and that's normal because mm-hmm. there's just so many people want a piece of you. Yeah. This yeah. is why we need friends. They, 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 they help us when we're sort of stuck. Yeah, I do. Rather, it's like a group hug is coming next, which is going to be awkward for everyone. But it's the truth. I wouldn't uh-huh. say that if it wasn't. Yeah, oh, sure. So, you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, I've got a question, but maybe you've got a question. I know you just no, gave an answer. Now you're so. One of my favorite things to do when uh, I take Danelle Boatman, who is our director of the education and outreach corps and deputy director for the Intricatory Research Center, and also the one monitoring the board while we do all this. She's everything. She is everything. She's sort of like the every person. Uh, <laughs> when, when we go out into the field and we talk to people, we say, what got us to this point when speaking about the opioid crisis and what's it going to take to fix it? And I know you're going to continue doing work in this area. Thankfully, you're going to continue doing work with us for a while. but. Any thoughts on wh- where we go from here? Either as a, I mean, pick your pick your area, right? Either as a community, as a as a nation, as a public health discipline, as a university, as an individual researcher. What do we do? I oh, that's a really loaded question. You're welcome. S- yeah. Well, let Kara not answer necessarily it. No. No. <laughs> I mean, I could have asked um, you about your dog, but this felt better. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, I think there's so much that needs to be done. I I think that this is a bigger issue than just opioids, kind of like we touched on before. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the communities um, have been at risk or have been enduring like chronic stress for a long time. And I think that is showing to be bad for a lot of health outcomes, but specifically for overdoses, other injury, suicide rates are up. Um, I mean, there's so much that I think the mental health of so many communities across America needs to be addressed. So we're going into communities. I think we need to really reach out and understand um, potential places that could be the best fit for social networks or social support in the communities, but also understanding um, how we can leverage those and what we need to do next. I I think there's still a lot that is not understood, but I, I think we need to embrace the grassroots approach to really address this. So I, I love that answer it, because it reframes it less as an individual problem and a, a problem associated with in, choices that an individual makes more to a community problem and a one of, of finding ways to heal and potentially reconnect our communities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our other 
fun colleagues and very smart colleagues is John Bosnich, and he actually said what we need is a super glider project for communities. We need to start getting people to bounce into each other again and, mm -hmm. and start trying to improve the health of our communities, and that sounds very consistent with that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I'm going to tack on to that, though, because we've constantly talked about how it's not just health is the is the function of many things, not mm -hmm. just people who provide health care. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? It's, it can't be solved by just people like us. Right. No, I, I think that we have to, as public health professionals, look at other sectors. There needs to be education and um, outside of traditional health care. Um, just like it's not mental illness, it's mental health of the communities, it's um, social networks, it's having that community feel, knowing that you have a tribe, quote unquote, that you have support, that you want to be there, that you have meaning. Um, and I think really addressing that and bringing everyone to the table from various positions is important to understand the potential pitfalls that could happen. So. Um, you can really address them or know what else needs to be done or who else you need to bring in or what's not being considered. Right. Good tack on. <laughs> All right. So do you have another question? Nope. Nope. Dan, another question? No, I'm, I'm good to go. So I just have one question for you then. You've been through <clears throat> a very long process. You've sacrificed a lot to get to this point. You now get to put doctor on your stationery. That's kind of cool. And you get to spend the rest of your life trying to explain to people what an epidemiologist is. That's yeah, fun too. Skin doctor. Yeah. Skin doctor. Yeah. Or it, it's not the bug person. It's not a skin doctor. Right? I don't know how they get from dermatologist to epidemiologist, but that I seems to be epidermis. But, but yeah, but epidermis is not a thing. I'm impressed. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's, it's a skin. I know what an layer. epidermal layer is, but is there such a thing as an epidermist as a doctor? No. No. Yeah, yeah. no. Oh, dermatologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. What? A dermatologist. Dermatologist. Yeah. Yeah. So, but there's not an epidermist. Yeah. So I don't know why they get there. Epidermiologist. Epidermiologist. So was it worth it? All said and done. One hundred percent. It was worth it. It's not easy, and I would say you need to be passionate about what you're doing and be ready to give up things that other people your age may have or other people are have. Um, like lives. Yeah, like yeah. your life, you know, yeah. showering. That's kind of not. Kind of not. Maybe. Yeah. But no, um, I, it's 100%. Self esteem, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. self esteem. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. All right. Any closing comments? Well, we give you the opportunity to tell us that one last thing. It's an opportunity for you to pass along your, your words of wisdom to all of the listeners in uh, Bulgaria. In Bulgaria? Yeah, or Indiana. Romania. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> um, words of wisdom? I don't really know. I, I would Closing thoughts? Closing thoughts? Yeah. What would you say to future students? Future students, I would say to seek out good mentors. Um, me having a good mentor here and even in my MPH career meant everything to me, and I don't think I would have finished without having a good mentor. I wouldn't have. Um, That's not what you told me. <laughs> I think that makes a world of a difference. So make sure you really are passionate about the field and you have a good mentor. So that's to future students. What would you say to Jack and Toledo? Jack in Toledo, I think you... Quit. You're done. Quit. Yeah. You didn't do it. It's been done. You've been yeah. done. It's been done before, Jack. So yeah, thanks. You're done. Going to dermatology. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Warfield. We're thrilled you're going to stay with us for a while longer. Well, yeah. We're, we're actually, there's a plan just to lock the door and not let you out. So. There we go. Just yeah. keep my snacks in there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't think there's a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll slide them. I'm pretty sure there's a, at least a week's worth of food there that you go. can find. Yeah. <laughs> 
So thank you, everyone. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for paying attention for the, at least the first 27 minutes of that. I'd also like to let people know about resources available to, to West Virginians and, and really anybody, but specifically West, West Virginians. Help for WV offers a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week call, chat, and text line that provides immediate help for any West Virginian struggling with an addiction or mental health issue. And I think I'd like to say not just those struggling with addiction or mental health issues, but anyone who might care for them or, or be concerned about them should use that resource and reach out as well. The helpline provides assistance for those who need help for themselves or in guidance for seeking help for loved ones. Call 844-HELP4WV or visit them online at help4wv.com. Kara, I'm going to throw it to you. All and right. now the news with Kara Stokes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you again for tuning in to hear our conversation with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Sarah Warfield. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Warfield or any of the co-hosts, specifically Dan Chook, make sure you share them with us on Twitter or Facebook using hashtag AskWVUICRC. Again, that's hashtag AskWVUICRC. I-C-R-C. Or you can call them directly. Sarah, you want to give everybody your phone number? Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, seven, yeah, six, one, What's four. Papa John's. Yeah. That's what you used to do. <laughs> I sure did. You gave guys Papa John's yes. numbers? Yeah. she did. Yeah. Did. <laughs> we should have spent more time talking about that. <laughs> Next time. But that's probably, did you have people continue to call and not get the hint? Because, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there are men. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dan. <laughs> Uh, we hope that this conversation has helped you think about opi- opioid uh, use disorder opics. in a new way. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Uh, goodbye from your friends at Oomph. We make injury control cool.